What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Process Podcast brought to you by Ethos Performance Rehab. I'm your host, Charlie Witkowski, joined as always by my best friend and co-host, Nick Veronica. And today we have the pleasure of welcoming in the producer of the Howard and Jeremy show uh, of WGR, Brayton Wilson. Brayton, how you doing, man? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. We've been meaning to have you for a while. Thank you. Yes. It's it's interesting to put the uh, the face to the man that I hear on the radio in the morning. So yeah, yeah, no, a lot of people oftentimes don't want to have the uh, the face for radio look or anything like that. But I get told that all the time. Oh, you have the perfect face for radio. The old <laughs> wow, yeah, wow. <laughs> I know, harsh, but I, I'm I'm openly accepting of it. Wow. Well, you're beautiful to us, Brayton. Right? <laughs> That's all that Thanks. matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> So let, let's kind of just get into it, guys. Like, we got to talk some Sabres hockey, unfortunately. I know this is Nick's, like, least favorite topic that we just, talk just, about. Just the most depressing topic. I enjoy hockey. Just not the Sabres hockey anymore? No, I, I, I really don't blame you, Nick, but I think there's a lot to get into um, from the press conferences from last week. So I think we might as well just start there. Um, Brayton, if you could first kind of break down your thoughts, you know, with the Sam Reinhardt, uh, Ristolainen, um, even the Jake McCabe and, and obviously the Jack Eichel interviews there uh, from last week. Yeah, well, I mean, the first day of the end-of-season conference calls the Sabres had was uh, quite eye-opening, starting off with, you know, Sam Reinhart, Rasmus Ristolainen speaking, um, you know, both of them being open and very honest about their seasons, about the team season overall. Reinhardt just disappointed and in, in con- with the continuous losing. I mean, he's been here since, you know, the 2014 NHL draft. He's He's been here full-time since 2015, 2016, and the team uh, hasn't really won since then. They've, they haven't even really been close to a playoff berth since then. Rasmus Ristolainen, it's a third straight year where he's openly said, you know, I know changes are coming, so and I'm probably going to be the one, one of the first ones to be out the door with those changes, and you know, it was the third time the charm for him to, you know, get traded. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know how the uh, management team feels about a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen. But then, obviously, the the real eye-opener came when Jack Eichel uh, spoke at the podium during his conference call and, and pretty much openly expressed his displeasures with the disconnect between him and the team, which immediately sent waves of people saying, oh, boy, here we go. This is, this is the beginning of the end for Jack Eichel in Buffalo. So, uh you know, it was definitely a day of, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say reckoning, but I, I definitely call it uh, a, a kind of a black guy in the organization as a whole just because of the comments made from arguably three of your top leaders on the team. Uh, you know, day two was filled with the kids and it was all kind of nice and, and, and feel goody because, you know, the kids are all excited that they got the chance to play the way they did and they got the opportunities they did. And then Kevin Adams and Don Granado both spoke and Kevin Adams kind of dropped his little bombshell saying, you know, we're going to move forward with the people that we want here and that want to be here. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of, a lot to take out of those conference calls and it all seems like a giant mess, but you know, here we are two weeks later, I think two weeks later now at this point, time just seems like it flies by so fast nowadays. So yeah, I mean, it, it's been, it's been a mess, but here we are, and we're in the off season, and I don't know. I don't even know what's going to happen now at this point. I mean, Nick, wasn't uh, didn't Darcy say we were going to have to suffer for a little bit? I don't think anyone thought the suffering was going to be this long. Well, they they tied the NHL record for most consecutive seasons without a playoff appearance, and about half the league makes it every year. So, I guess you would say that's, that's a lot longer than Darcy predicted. Yeah. It's just sad that I almost missed Darcy in some ways. Like that's how, that's how I know. Like like man, that's that's a really dark thought. Like to miss the Darcy Regeer era. Yeah. No. It it is it is hard to believe. You look back and 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 I was kind of just reflecting just because you know it's been the ten years that they've missed and the closest they've made it to the playoffs since then is nineteenth place and that was the very first year that they missed out on the playoffs and since then the closest they've came is 23rd place overall in the standings. I mean, it, it's it's not even close to where wow. they, where they need to be. Here here's the the rundown of the uh of the overall finishes over the 10 years that they've missed the playoffs. 19th, 23rd, 30th, 30th, 23rd, 26th, 30th, 27th, 25th, 
and now obviously 31st with Vegas in the picture and hopefully we never see a 32 there after Seattle comes into the picture this year but it's I mean I mean you talk about how things have been just so ugly and that right there is just an indication of how truly bad it's been because you know we, we look at the Bills drought Bills drought lasted what 18 years Mm-hmm. And a couple of those times, they got close. They missed out maybe by a game, maybe two. You know, if, if they had another couple games go their way, maybe they would have lucked out and gotten the playoffs. Uh, this drought for the Sabres, they haven't even come close once to the playoffs. So uh, it, it is just ugly beyond belief. The suffering continues. And at this point, we have no answers as to when it's going to end. And don't forget, too, at some point throughout this whole drought, you know, back-to-back years, I think they had the year with early on last year with um, Ralph Kruger, and then I believe it was the year before with Phil Housley. They were in first place. They were flying high in the league. They were the talk of the league and about how good they were, and then all of a sudden the wheels just fell off. Yeah. And yeah. it's just – it blows my mind how one team, one organization could just – just fall apart like that as quickly as they did in in one season. Yeah, and I mean, every year when you bring in these coaches, I mean, right after, uh, you know, right after Regeer made the suffering comment, he he went into that season with Ron Rolston, didn't work out right away. So what do they do? They fire Rolston, fire Regeer, they bring in Pat LaFontaine as president of Hockey Ops, first time that they've had a role like that. All right, great. You've got a guy right at the top, your hockey czar, quote unquote. Then he brings in Tim Murray, and all of a sudden, Pat LaFontaine leaves the organization just a few months after he gets hired. Uh, we still don't know why exactly. But then, but Dan Bilesma comes in after Ted Nolan's second era uh, as head coach, which didn't go well as expected. Dan Bilesma comes in. First year went great. Second year didn't go so well. And then, you know, both him and Tim Murray get fired. And then Jason Bottrell comes in and brings in Phil Housley, a first-time head coach. Everybody's like, oh, you know, he's he's the next up-and-coming coach. Look at what he did with the defensive group in Nashville. And he brought in this system that was just so complex that I think after, you know, the two years he was here, every message would just go right over everyone's head and just nobody would really kind of pay attention to it anymore. So he gets fired. Ralph Kruger comes in, and it just never seemed to click, especially with this season. The first year for a little bit it clicked. Uh, and then things kind of fell apart. Then the pandemic hit. And since the start of this year, um, I, I get it. COVID-19 had an effect. But during that 18-game winless streak, I think it was quite clear that the team had completely lost Ralph Kruger's message or anything that he was trying to convey to the team. And everybody loved Ralph Kruger, it seemed like, in that Sabres locker room. The, the players spoke very highly of him. He was a leader. He was a, uh, you know, a, a guy that was very well commandeered by, you know, all the players and the staff and nothing was working. So they, there was only one move they had to make at that point, And that was the fire Kruger and Don Granato was able to turn things around, but you know, and I like Don Granato. I like the work that he's done, but the questions that I have obviously are how well is he going to turn it around? If he wins the, the coaching search and coaching job and coaching sweepstakes, how well is he going to turn it from instead of being more of a developmental team where you know, you're not going to make the playoffs to all of a sudden, Oh hey, we're starting off a season, and we have to win now. How how is uh, does that change at all? I'm not, I'm not sure, but <laughs> looking back, it just I mean I know I feel like a broken record saying it's been a mess, but holy cow, it has been quite an abysmal disaster. Do you have any insight into what Kruger was doing wrong that they were that wasn't resonating with them? Because it was sort of interesting to me hearing Jack Eichel talk at the end of the season. He's saying, I love Ralph Kruger. He's such a good guy. I still want to talk to him. I still whatever. Where was the disconnect? Why could they not play for a guy who they liked so much? Like usually if a coach is going out, it's like, man, we hate this guy. Get him out of town. And that didn't seem to be the case. No, no. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it ever really was a fact that there was any disconnect between the players and coach. I think it was mainly just the fact of, I think really bad habits got to the team and they never seemed to be able to get over those bad habits. Um, you know, I, I was at practices for training camp at the start. Paul Hamilton was there too. And Paul said it plenty of times on our airwaves. And I will agree with him 100% where, you know, drills are being done at three quarters percent. Uh, you know, guys are going offside during drills. No one's getting stopped during drills to kind of be, 
you know, talk to if, you know, something's going on, something's wrong or things are getting sloppy, passes are not connecting, no one's stopping practice and, you know, kind of telling the players, hey, let's sharpen up, let's get things going here and and let's get on top of our game. Nothing like that was happening uh, with Cro- with Ralph Kruger, with Steve Smith, with no one. And then Don Granado takes over and he wanted the players to be a little more accountable in practices and during games and and yeah, while he was allowing a lot of the players to kind of just do their thing, you know, the younger guys like Casey Middlestad, Tage Thompson, Rasmus Asplin, Anders Bjork when he came here, those guys were able to do their thing. But at the same point, they were being accountable in practices and, you know, learning from their mistakes and everything. And that's exactly what Granada wanted him to do. And I, I just, I don't know if Ralph Kruger was just, you know, not a guy that wanted to push the guys. He wanted to be more of a, a player-friendly coach and just be – I, I don't know. It, it's so hard to kind of figure it all out, really. But I, I think a lot of it is the fact that the team didn't prepare the way that they probably should have. Uh, and when you when you practice how you practice, it oftentimes will leak into games. And it, it just it looked so bad. And every practice, it just seemed like it was the same thing. Guys weren't taking accountability. Guys were going offside. Guys were just sloppy. And there was there was really nothing being done about it until Granado came in and kind of changed things. Where do you think this team's going to go with the coach? Because you said you don't know if if you know Don Granado could be that guy coming in to you know take a, a you know a team that is not a developmental team. I guess at that point, right? Like mm-hmm. you would you would assume going into the offseason this year, Kevin Adams is going to have a real long hard look and say we have to make playoffs. Like it's it's at least. That's got to be the goal next year. I don't even care if they want to tell me the goal is the Stanley Cup. We know they're not going to get there unless. Well, that's what Taylor Gula happens. said this year. <laughs> said they signed Taylor Hall. We're doing this not just to make the playoffs, to win yeah. the Stanley Cup. Yep. And then they finish in last place again. That's so mm-hmm. embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not a good look. Uh, you know, it, there's just so many questions with this team that's more than just the coach. You know, is Jack Eichel going to be here next year? Is Sam Reinhardt going to be here next year? I mean, if coach really liked Rasmus Ristolainen, is Rasmus Ristolainen going to be here this year? How is this team going to be built? Are you going to have more younger players? Is this going to be more of um, a younger group of talent that might be one of the youngest groups in the NHL, if not the youngest group? Are you going to bring in um, more veteran leadership to try and help out? Like, I mean, they tried Eric Stahl to help out. They tried Taylor Hall. Neither of those guys really worked out. And it resulted in how it resulted for the team. So, there, there's just so many other questions leading up to the coaching search. And if I'm any coach that's interested in the Sabres job, those are the questions that I'm personally asking mm-hmm. with Kevin Adams, with Jason Carmanos, with the Pagulas saying, what's the path of this organization going forward? Is this, you know, is this going to be a quick turnaround or is this more likely going to be a, another very ugly phase where it could be another two years. I mean, I, I would hope not two or three years, but is it going to be another little while before, you know, these younger guys come up and, and establish themselves as NHLers and, and put the message out there saying, okay, we're legitimate contenders now. So, I mean, I, I like Don Granado. I, I think he can do it, um, you know, but I, I just have questions with, how he's going to, you know, transition from being that developmental guy to being the full-time guy and wanting to win right away. I like that he's a very offensive guy. I like that he pushes for offense and pushes for um, you know, some high-speed action and and you know, it's it's it was a complete 180 from Ralph Kruger. Ralph was was defense first, then then offense and oftentimes it, you know, it resulted in some very <laughs> some very lopsided affairs, some very, um, I wouldn't, I would, I guess I could say snoozer affairs just because it, it wasn't really fun hockey. It was just, no, it was just, it was just kind of hockey. Like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> there wasn't anything yeah. to, to speak home with the Sabres. And you say if it's two years, like, I don't know if the Sabres are going to have any fans left if it's two <laughs> more years of like, disgusting hockey. Like, it's, it, it would even be different if they were in 20th place and they were like an exciting team and there was something mm-hmm. to hope on, but it's just, it just devoid yeah. of all of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the goal for this upcoming year has, I mean, if it's not making the playoffs, it's okay. Actually play meaningful games in the month of March that 
Jason Bottrell coined famously a couple of years ago. We need to play those those meaningful games in March. It's very important that these guys get those meaningful games. And it never happened then. Even, even this year, they played in a May. And by the month of March, there were no meaningful games to play. Um, so, you know, I think if you're not making the playoffs next year, at least shoot for better than 20th. Because... <laughs> Because if you can at least be in competition for at least half of March into early April when the season's expected to go to next year, I think it's only going to be pushed back a week from when it normally does. But if they can just show some sort of life next year, if they can compete and really kind of show that, oh, hey, we're seriously trying to turn things around and it's not just going to be um, – you know, another year of meddling in the basement, finishing 23rd, finishing 25th, finishing 27th, uh, you know, show some hope, show some optimism with this team going forward. And if you can do that, I think at least it's a better track than you're going than, you know, finishing near the basement again. Brandon, let me ask you here. And if you want to punt on this question, given your job, I will let you, but there has definitely been, uh, you know, a thought in Sabres, Sabres Twitter, maybe that, the Pagulas do not want to spend big money, and they, you know, they need a GM. They didn't interview anyone. They pulled a guy who was running Harbor Center. There's some pretty big name coaches out there. Claude Julian's out there. Boost Brudrug, Gerard Gallant. Are do you have a sense that they're in the mix for big names like that, or are they kind of looking at smaller up and coming names? Well, I don't know if it's. I don't think it's necessarily a factor of of money. I mean, I could easily be wrong, but I don't. I don't think that's necessarily what I'm looking at with in terms of the next coach. I, I mean, sure, Bruce Boudreaux is perhaps the most popular name here that has been on the on the mind of Sabres fans since they fired Ralph Kruger. Well, he's been available for so long. He's got a playoff pedigree. Why not bring him in? He's available. He's a free agent. You just talk to him. You know, I don't even know if he needs permission from his former team to even talk to the Buffalo Sabres about a, a potential coaching job. Just go talk to him. And I just, I, I never bought into the Bruce Boudreaux uh, play in with, with his name being a, a coaching candidate, just because of the fact that he's very much like a lot of the other retreads, especially like a John Tortorella and a Claude Julian, even too. After a while, the same message starts to wear out real quick. And it's around a three, four year period. Sure, you could be close to contending for the playoffs and, uh, you know, you can be a a guy that can get to the playoffs, but even then, Bruce Boudreaux has never really had any real playoff success. He's gotten to the conference final, I think, once when he was with Anaheim, uh, if my mind remembers correctly, but it, it, it hasn't exactly been this perfect coaching tenure for a guy like Bruce Boudreaux. And I get it, Claude Julien, he won the Stanley Cup with the with the Boston Bruins in 2011. He's gotten them to the playoffs in, in several years. Um, but again, I, I, I'm i hoping that the next coach can be more of a suitable longer-term solution for this team going forward instead of just a you know two- to three-year guy. I mean, longer than two years, certainly. The last three guys didn't even get into their third year. Um, so if you can get a third year out of the next coach, that's great. But – you know, I'm I'm hoping that the the next coach that can come in can kind of have that established longevity with this team, a successful established longevity where the team is winning, where the team is fun to watch, where the team is good, or they're competing every single night. I mean, I'd even take a Lindy Ruff type of you know run over a, a few year period where you know if they get off to a bad start, if they're competing by the end of the year and you know they're a point or two out of the playoffs with three games left, I'll take that. You know, especially this season, uh, I, I would take that for a couple of years for, you know, going forward. And, um, you know, I, I just I just don't know if I buy into if I'm comfortable enough with the Bruce Boudreaux thing. I'm, yeah. I'm more comfortable with a, a going with a Don Granado option or going with a, a coaching option from the college ranks like a Nate Lehman. Nate Lehman's a guy who just can ask who, about it. Who, who brought in, uh, you know, he built up the program in Providence and the team was successful for years. It's a positive winning culture. They won a national championship in 2015 against 
Jack Eichel. They were here in Buffalo for the Frozen Four, you know, a few years back. And that was when Jacob Bryson was on the team and he was a prospect still of the Sabres. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, if they hire Bruce Boudreaux, I'll, I'll trust what they're doing. I'll trust, obviously, that, you know, they have a plan going forward with what they want to do with, you know, whoever the coach is. But um, I, I just, I know that with the, the, uh, the past and especially with Boudreaux and his last couple of years in Minnesota, his message started to do the same thing. We're off really quickly and the team just never seemed to kind of grasp onto what they wanted to do when they didn't win. They didn't get in the playoffs. All right. I'll throw out two names real quick. Both of you can give me your thoughts. Two names that are out there. John Tortorella, David Quinn. To me, I'm like very negative on both of those names. Just Tortorella. Just don't think they, you know, it's not, not the right kind of attitude they want. David Quinn was Jack Eichel's college coach. That just just something feels <laughs> super weird about that to me. Just I don't know. There's kind of there's been rumors about Eichel kind of trying to push for his his coach or his type of coach or somebody that meshes with him. Like I don't know if you need to cater to Jack that much. Is that do you, either of you have thoughts on those guys? Great. I'll let you answer first. Uh, you know, Tortorella. No, I, it's. I don't think that his way of coaching to me, at least, I, I don't know. I just, I I don't agree necessarily with the John Tortorella train. I, I get it. He, you know, people want to bring him back because, oh, hey, he, he coached Rochester when they won the 1996 Calder Cup. He has ties with the organization after, you know, several years and he won a Stanley Cup in Tampa Bay. Yahoo, whatever. Is that I, a thing people are actually saying? He won the 19-whatever Calder Cup? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're bringing that up. I'm just bringing it up <laughs> just because he did. But I, I'm i not comfortable with the John Tortorella train. Uh, again, it's one of those things where the message does wear off after a while. And I, I don't know if necessarily what, what he brings to the table would be good for the Sabres and the youngsters especially, uh, given the fact that this team likely is going to look a lot younger going forward. As for uh, David Quinn, I would say no, just given the fact that there were a lot of Rangers fans that did not like him because, you know, they had all this talent on the team. They were, you know, young and flush with talent, and the team just never really never really got going with him either. So, hmm. um, you know, again, I, I'm I'm more of the mindset here with the coach. It's just get get the right guy, and you know, don't try and sell it. Don't try and you know fluff this up and and look through it with rose colored eyes. Just go out there and get get the right guy who you feel is going to establish the long term successful culture that this team has been desperately needing for so long, and that the team hasn't had. Uh, since the Chris Drury days, Danny Breer days, when you know Drury literally puts pictures of the Stanley cup everywhere in the Sabres locker room. And it was just like, Hey, you know, this is our goal here. This is what we need to be doing is playing for this Stanley cup. There's nothing else that we need to be playing for. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's been around since then, or if anything has been similar to that since then. Nick, you know how I feel about torts. I like torts, but the more and more that I sit down and I think about this team, no, I don't think he's a fit for the Sabres team. I think, you saw that before with a guy like Ralph Kruger where he kind of came in or even like a, a, a Lindy Ruff type of coach before that where he was really holding his guys accountable, um, you know, more of an in-your-face type of coach. And I feel like that type of coach is slowly kind of wearing off in the league. Um, you mentioned Dan Quinn as well. I'm kind of with you. I wouldn't cater to Jack in the least bit. Um, and at the end of the day, if he doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be here. But there's no point in catering to him if you don't think he's going to be here next year right yeah. um and and brayton you said a name that really um you know that i get excited about when i hear is nate lehman and kevin adams is going to have a good look at nate lehman uh in the next few months here at the uh world championships yeah yeah as, as one of the hockey directors so he'll yeah. really get a good feel i'm i'm hoping that this is a process no pun intended for the podcast but i'm hoping that this is a process where the you uh, can intend that pun all day. <laughs> Why not run with it? <laughs> I, I I just want to, I want to see Kevin Adams take his time. I don't want to see him rush just to no. make a decision. Right there's no. there's not a ton of head coaching jobs available right now either, where he has to fill the job right away before guys go off the table. 
Right. And, and absolutely, he should be talking to as many people and getting a gauge of the, of the room and getting a gauge of every candidate. He should be talking to guys from the college ranks. He should be talking to guys from the junior ranks. He should be talking to guys from uh, the AHL, the ECHL, the NHL, from Europe, uh, everywhere. Just go talk to anybody and everyone. Get a gauge of how you want your coach to feel, how you want your coach to operate your team. And if you really like one candidate, then then great. If they want to be here, then great. They can come in and they can coach the team. And hopefully everything kind of, you know, rolls into place and the roster looks fine. But, I mean, I, I agree with you there where, you know, Nate Lehman is on that U.S. team. He's an assistant coach. Uh, who's, the, who's the head coach of that team? Uh, I think it's Jack Capuano. Either way, yes. though, Lehman's there. Lehman also uh, won U.S. Uh, World Junior gold medal this past year. He was the head coach for the World Junior team that was led by Trevor Zegras, and it was a great effort, and they got the win over Canada in the gold medal game. And, you know, he's he's a guy that has an established culture at that Providence College, and that program has won a national championship, has had a lot of success, and I think he should seriously be considered as, as as a guy that they talk to, as a guy that they bring in on multiple interviews. But again, it shouldn't just be limited to just Don Granado, to just Bruce Boudreaux, to just Nate mm-hmm. Lee. They should talk to anyone and everyone they possibly can for the job. They don't have to hire a guy before the draft. They don't have to hire a guy before free agency. They can hire someone. I mean, you would obviously like to have them in there because then you they would know, you know, what free agents are coming in, who you're drafting, who's kind of in the system going forward. But, you know, they technically don't have to. They could take all the time they want to with this. And I, and I want Kevin Adams and Jason Carmanos to do just that. Well, how big of a role that Jason Carmanos is going to play in this? Because I've heard so much positive uh, feedback around Jason Carmanos in general um, mm-hmm. that a lot of people are kind of saying he's there to help groom Kevin Adams. I know he's going to be the GM of Rochester, but – how much of a role is he going to play here with the Sabres as well? Well, I think I think that Kevin Adams is going to utilize Jason Carmanos as kind of like his landing pad where, you know, he wants to make a decision and he's going to go to Jason and just be like, hey, you know, I want to bounce this off you here. Does this make sense? Is what I'm going to do going to make sense to, you know, whatever's going on here with the team? Is, you know, is is this signing a smart signing? Is this trade a good idea to do to rejuvenate the team. And Jason Carmanos has been around the league forever. He's a three-time Stanley Cup champion in front offices with Carolina and Pittsburgh. Um, you know, so he's been in this business for a while. He's never been a, a full-time general manager, but I think he's just the type of person that Kevin Adams needs in order to kind of help groom himself a little further because the start of before the start of this past season, Kevin Adams was was Staying in his conference calls, I've had a lot of great discussions with GMs. I've asked them questions. They've been willing to help me, and it's been a great learning experience. Well, the second the season started, every GM then at that point was trying to throw him an anvil, just trying to sink him in any way possible, trying to take advantage of Kevin Adams. And, you know, that's not going to happen anymore. He's not going to be able to go to another GM and say, oh, hey, uh, I have a question about this. Can you help me out? You know, they might give you an answer, but at the same point, when it comes game time, when it comes to the start of the season, they're not doing anything to help you out. They're not going to do anything to be nice to you. They're going to try and sink you to the to the basement of the standings every single freaking year. So, you know, I think Carmanos is going to be that nice little tool that Kevin Adams can go to when he does have those sort of those sort of questions and kind of get, you know, feedback of an experienced front office guy because Kevin Adams was never a front office guy in hockey operations before he was hired out of the blue as the general manager replacing mm-hmm. Jason Cottrell. He has zero experience doing any of this. So to get a guy like Jason Carmanos and maybe to bring in a couple other guys that have plenty of NHL experience, that would be so helpful for Kevin Adams to continue to grow as a GM. And if the Pagulas really feel that he can do this job and he can be good at it, they have to keep building around him sort of like Josh Allen with the bills. They have to keep building around Kevin Adams to kind of help him become the general manager. They believe he's going to become. And then at that point, then you can, you know, I mean, they should be focusing on the team as well, but um, you know, if they really believe it, they have to start putting pieces around him where he can, you know, learn and, and get the chance to grow as a GM. Mm-hmm. All right. Quickly, before we get to lightning round, we got to talk about Jack Eichel. His, had some really eye-opening comments after the season about how disgruntled he was with how they handled his injury. It's been 
you know, uh, since, since he signed the contract almost and, and they, well, maybe not that long, but it's been a recurring thing. Does he want out of here? Does he want to trade? Should they trade him now? He has a, a no movement clause that kicks in in 2022, 23. So after this season, he would, he would have to sign off on a trade. So should they do it this year if they're not in contention? Uh, to just give, give us your the view from your perspective on the lay of the land, what happens with Jack Eichel. And, and, and Brayton, a few weeks ago, too, I heard you say, uh, I think it was before the final game of the year you were on, on the radio, I heard you say, you don't trade Jack Eichel unless he asks. Did Do you feel like Jack Eichel has finally asked for that trade to get out of here? I think that conference call was as close to a trade request as you're going to get without him literally saying, I want to be traded. Get me the heck out of Dodge. I think, you know, when you say that there's disconnect between you, your camp and 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 the team and, and the general manager, like, I mean, that that is just a, a sign of, you know, complete dysfunction. And I, I, I think that at that point, you almost look at it as, okay, that's kind of his ticket to saying things better change real quick or I'm out or, you know, just, you might as well trade me. And at, at this point, I'm almost thinking it's inevitable that he gets moved. I mean, you have to almost move him this off season. If you are going to move him, if you don't move him, then you better trade him before the start of the next league year or else that no movement clause kicks in and he can go wherever the heck he wants to go. And it can turn into another Taylor Hall situation where he says, I only want to go to here. And then the Sabres would have to settle with whatever it is that, you know, the other team would offer in order to acquire Jack Eichel. If you're going to have that, that leverage in a trade, you almost have to trade him this off season. And I'm still on that belief and I still will say it all the time. You know, you don't trade your best players unless they literally ask to be traded or they ask to get out of town. And after hearing what Jack Eichel said and after kind of taking some time to think about it, to me, this is my opinion, that almost was the trade request right there. Just, you know, now at this point, it's okay. What are you going to exactly ask for? What exactly is it that you are targeting in a Jack Eichel trade? Uh, there was a report from Renault Lavoie from TVA Sports a while back saying that, you know, in a Jack Eichel trade, they would be asking for four first round assets. And I said, all right, if it's four first round assets, you start there. You start with four mm -hmm. first round assets and you build. I don't know how that's going to be now because Jack Eichel's got this herniated disc and the recovery process. We don't know what's going on with it. Apparently they're still in this timetable where they're taking their time with trying to see how his neck reacts while he wants surgery right away. Just get it out of the way. Let me repair my neck right away. But it's a surgery that's never been done on an NHL player. So the Sabres obviously have their concerns with that. So it's, it, you you get both sides. You understand both sides of the story. And at the mm -hmm. same point, it's just like, what are you supposed to do? And at this point, it just seems like that unless there is a firm resolution that comes about within the next couple of months and Jack Eichel comes out and says, no, I'm happy with the solution here. I'm, I'm happy to stay. I almost feel, in my opinion, that he, that it's inevitable that they will try to move him. And I don't want them to, but again, that that commentary that he put out there was was almost just as good as him literally saying, "Get me out of here." Hmm. I maybe I didn't really think about it, this until you phrased it that way. Is he almost untradeable currently because his value would be lower and teams would want to give up less given his medical? Uh, well, when we talked to Frank Saravalli last week, you know there was one GM that was interested potentially in an Eichel trade that said he's almost untradeable right now, just because given the circumstances mm -hmm. with, his, with his injury and with the status of with him and the team. But then Darren Dreger, you know, that day or the next day immediately came back and said, no, like, I think he's still tradable. Many, many teams would still want to acquire Jack Eichel. I think he's still tradable. It's just, again, there are so many unanswered questions with this situation, just with Jack Eichel like a lot of situations with the Sabres right now, so many unanswered questions, but sticking with Jack Eichel, you know, our team's going to be willing to pay the price that the Sabres might be asking for. The Sabres might be asking for the four first-round assets. They might be asking for three first-round assets and maybe, you know, uh, a mid-level prospect or, a, you know, a second, third-round pick, something like that. 
and teams might be looking at it and just like, well, we're not ready to exactly make a deal right now if we don't know what's going on. So mm -hmm. maybe right now, sure, maybe he's untradeable just because of those unanswered questions. But at this point, I think there would still be plenty of teams that would see the opportunity to go acquire a top 10, top 15 player right now in Jack Eichel. And I think that the price for Jack Eichel would still be quite substantial. Um, and, and once maybe some of those questions get answered, you know, is he going to have surgery? Um, you know, and, and some of the other things that are, that are between him and the team, once some of those questions maybe get answered and maybe some teams get an understanding of what's going on, then maybe the price recovers and maybe the Sabres are able to get, a, get their, their full asking price or something close to it. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about. There's a lot to digest with that situation. And until some questions get answered, until we know exactly the extent of Jack Eichel's injury and if there's going to be surgery required or, you know, if he's going to file a grievance with the NHLPA, I, I don't know, man. Hmm. <laughs> I I mean, you know, you say that like you, no one really knows what's going to happen. I, I 1,000% agree with you. I think both both sides, you know, the Sabres and Jack Eichel are both right. Like I, I get – Jack wanted to have the surgery. I get the Sabres not wanting to let him have that surgery right now. If they can fix this and they, and after the 12 weeks is up and it's next, not any better. And they say, okay, go get the surgery. Does that heal the wound? Does that say, okay, I'll, I'll see how I do coming into next year. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it's pretty much all up to Jack Eichel at that point, I would think. You know, if the team finally says, all right, go get the surgery, is he going to feel better with them saying, okay, hey, you know, they let me get the surgery. Let's go. I feel, you know, good about this. Or is he still going to hold some sort of resentment where the team didn't let him get the surgery right away uh, in, and waited for that 12-week process or however long the process was supposed to be when they would just kind of monitor his situation? It's it's all up to Jack Eichel, I think, at that point. And, you know, if, if he still feels resentment towards the team and and still feels there's disconnect, then obviously there's problems. But they let him get the surgery and he's a happy camper and then comes back and looks at the team, looks at the new coach and says, you know, I like what's going on here. Then maybe everything's kosher. Maybe everything's OK. And you just move on as if nothing ever happened. But, you know, it certainly is one of those things where this is this is a huge black eye on the look of the Sabres and the look of Jack Eichel right now. And. You know, uh, I don't want to jump to any conclusions. I don't think anybody wants to jump to any conclusions with this situation. But, um, you know, the next few weeks are going to be very telling as to, okay, that the deadline's coming up to the the 12-week period. And is he going to get surgery? And once that starts to develop and continues to be brought about, then I think we can start to formulate and put together some more scenarios of, okay, here's what's going to happen next or here's what could happen next. I got to disagree slightly there. And just because I think it, the way that we're, we're wording it, it's will they let him have surgery? Like mm -hmm. that, that's a funny way to phrase it. Like yeah. Jack is not going to like that at all. It should not be, at least in his mind, it should not be. You let me have surgery. It's like, this is what I want to do with my own body. Like, you know, what, what do you mean? I can't do what I want to do. No, so, no, I agree. I so agree. Charlie, yeah. Charlie, you, you use the phrase, uh, heal the wound. I'm like, literally this the wound might get healed with the surgery but but no i think he's still like this is a little bit about about power as well and just you know the team can tell him he can't do something he wants so mm -hmm. i think he's gonna be pretty frustrated with that no matter what yeah but real, real quick and then we'll get into the lightning round because i feel like nick at the same time yes he wants that power but you know what he signed a contract saying that the team had the right to make that decision and i feel like maybe that's something if if he gets another contract later on in the league, maybe that's something he negotiates then and says, "No, I get final say on what I'm doing." Yeah, with but my like, body like that's that, that's so messed up though. Like just just as a human level, I don't care what kind of contract you sign. You know, I have a neck injury. Yeah, my people say the surgery. Like, you know, what 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 would they do if he got it anyway? You breach your contract. Now that's now, true. Now that, what? That's a good point. No, what, that's you're good suspended. Point. You're we're gonna trade you now. He'd be like, great. Yeah, I find you twenty five thousand dollars, whatever. <laughs> I think it was only recently ratified by the CBA or, or altered by the CBA. I, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with how that process worked, but it was only recent where I think the power was given to the team, where you know they have that final decision as to does a Jack Eichel get this surgery or not, and that's with any player in the NHL. Does is a player allowed to have a specific type of surgery? 
for a specific type of injury, despite going to, you know, uh, other experts, other doctors and getting second, third, fourth opinions about a certain injury. And it's up to the team uh, officially to allow them to get that surgery. If the team doesn't want them to, then obviously Jack Eichel has the right to go file a grievance with the NHL Players Association to uh, kind of fight this battle and saying, hey, this guy needs the surgery, you know, let him go get it. And then, you, you know, you, you get more muddier waters in there. But yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think that it, you know, both sides are right. And, you know, both sides have their, have their points that they're being made. But, uh, you know, my understanding is according to the CBA, it's the team, the Sabres that have that final say. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, you know, in, in the long run, what, what happens with Jack Eichel? It, it's and and what happens with Kevin Adams and what what happens uh, with the team overall? It's going to be an interesting offseason for sure. Yeah, I, I kind of can't believe how long Eichel's been here already. I know. Uh, well, I mean, like, look look at how long a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen's been here. Mm-hmm. He's, for the past three years, he said, "Oh, I know team trades are coming, and I'm likely the first one out. Whatever happens, happens. Like I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll play here if they want me to. But if they don't want me here, I'll go play wherever mm-hmm. they send me to." And he said that for three years. And I mean, you know, how, <laughs> how, how much different is that from Ryan O'Reilly saying, you know, I kind of lost my love for the game the one year where they finished last place. And then he gets moved to St. Louis, wins the Stanley Cup the next year, wins a con Smythe this is the playoff MVP. I mean, it's those sort of things that you look at Jack Eichel saying he's frustrated with losing. I get it. It's understandable. No one likes to lose, especially a player like Jack Eichel is one of the best players in the world. But then, like a guy like Ryan O'Reilly goes out and says that, and he gets shipped off to St. Louis, and you get a return that's easily a laughable return now. When you look back on it, mm-hmm. three years ago already, and holy crap, it's three years since that Ryan O'Reilly. Did. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's just those type of things to me that just shows sort of the dysfunction of this team. Where you know, I get it, guys don't like losing, but one guy says it a certain way, and he gets traded, and it seemed like he was the he was the one that was getting all the uh, the lashings thrown at him. And then, you know, you got a guy like Jack Eichel saying last year, I'm tired of the losing. And then he says this year there's dysfunction, or not dysfunction, but disconnect between him and the team. And then Ristolainen for the past three years has said, you know, <laughs> I know trades are coming and I'm probably one of the first ones to go. I like it here, but I'm, you know, I'm up for whatever. It is what it is. And... <laughs> And like both of those guys are still here. It, it just it just goes to show that just like you know, it, it, the NHL is what it is, and it's it's just it's a league of wonders, I guess I'll say, because it's not just with the Sabers; it's the entire league. But I'll, I'll digress there. Yeah, you have, you have so many positive memories of Danny Briere and Chris Jury playing for the Sabers <sighs> combined. I looked this up; they played four hundred and fifty nine games for the Sabers. All right. 459. Sam Reinhart has played 454 games for the Sabres. All right. He's played basically the same as those two combined. And the amount of like memories and goodwill you have for him is like pretty darn low. It's crazy. Yeah. And Rasmus Ristolainen's played over 500 games in the NHL already. He's only 26 years old and he's already played over 500 games all for the Sabres, which, you know, good for him, but just. how many of those teams have just been just so meh? Bad. Bad. All right, we're going to let you get out of here in a minute, Braden. But first, we got to do the lightning round. All right, I'm ready for this. After this, Charlie's going to tell people about Ethos Performance Rehab. And we should look <laughs> up this script before we before we need it. Uh, Braden, quickly, uh, just t- tell the viewers how you got to WGR, how you got to Buffalo. Well, uh, I grew up here in Buffalo. I was born 35 minutes south of Buffalo. And... Um, graduate of good old spring Grove griffith institute and after that i you know went to ecc in the buff state and did the communications program uh in 2015 during during the tank year during the year you know we were going for mcgeichel i got an internship at gr and um you know just really put my heart and effort into everything that i did i i was like i tried to be a sponge and just absorb everything and and really be the best person i can be in that job and i got hired and about a year and a half later, I got the morning show job as being the producer for Howard and Jeremy. And since then, you know, every day's just been a fun day. And, um, you know, I love doing what I'm doing. And, you know, there's the ups and downs of the job, which every job is going to have your ups and downs. But, 
You know, when you, when you enjoy your job, you, you never really work a day in your life. I think that's how it goes, right? <laughs> I think so. I think so. If not, if not as close to it. Very close, close to, it. to it. What's your favorite part about working at GR? Um, the interactions with people. You know, I have my daily interactions with Howard and Jeremy. I mean, that's that's just part of the show. It's part of everything that I do on a regular basis with, with those guys. I'm always in constant communication, but there are people that, you know, that call into the show, that tweet into the show, text into the show. And it's those interactions that always, you know, that always just keeps me going and, and keeps me alert and everything. And just, you know, people's opinions and, and getting the chance to discuss it with certain people. And, and also just the fact that, you know, I get the chance to cover, you know, the two teams that I grew up watching and grew up being a fan of. And now I get the chance to cover them and write about them, talk about them on the radio. I mean, I mean that that's a Buffalo kid's dream. It's a Western New York kid's dream to be able, or any kid's dream, really, where you're, wherever you grow up. You could mm -hmm. be growing up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and grow up and talk about the Carolina Panthers for a living. And if you do it and you love it, then that's great. And that's exactly my circumstance with the Bills and Sabres. I absolutely love doing what I do. What is the best uh, radio caller story you can share publicly? Oh, boy. Best radio caller story. Well, there's a couple of them that I probably shouldn't share, but the one that I will share that is that is safe for for podcasting and everything is I, I had this guy call. He, he was from like Arizona or something like that, and he said he's a psychic. And I was like, okay, where is this going? <laughs> so he calls in, and it, it was a very brief call. This is what year? Oh God, this was three years ago. I think I had it pinned as my tweet for a while and then I took it down. I, I, I might have to go back and find it. And we can. But the guy calls and he says, I'm a psychic. And here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the bills win the Super Bowl in 2025. And then in 2026, the Sabres win the Stanley cup. And I was just like, okay, cool. I'll pass it along. Thanks. And I, and I hang up and I'm just like, if that actually happens, Buffalo will burn to the freaking ground, not once, but twice. They'll start to rebuild Buffalo, and then the Sabres win the cup, and it just gets burned to the ground again. Uh, I mean, that's that's probably my most memorable caller. I mean, it wasn't one that I took on the air, but one that I fielded and, and you know, mm -hmm. listened to the guy. I just was – I was so blown away. Just like, just like what – can you imagine if that happened? If this guy's right, like you got to find this guy and get him on. Oh, I, I will find him. I will try to find him. I will put out flyers. I will put out the, the, the bat signal for this guy. And I'll just play. Please tell me your few, my fortunes for me. Am I going to be a millionaire one day or something like that? Am I going to come up with like $5 million or something? Please. I want to know. So no, I mean, if, if that comes true, I, God, I can only imagine wow. two, two well, years of, of winning championship uh, yeah. uh, sports teams in Buffalo. Oof. At least it wasn't the Bills and Sabres will leave Buffalo. At least it's oh, positive. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, 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 take, I'll take the good. All yeah. right, well, hold on. We got to follow up. Next light, next lightning round question. Would you really want to know your future if someone could tell it to you? <laughs> good question. Uh, no, probably not. Probably not. That's, that's a very good point. I probably – I just oftentimes want to go about my day just kind of living it as it comes to me. If something comes up, you know, I try and just on the fly. It's kind of like my job. Something comes up as a producer. There could be breaking news, you know, Sabres trade for Sidney Crosby or something like that. And it's just like, what? Holy crap. What's going on? I got to write a story. I got to put a notification. I got to, you know, put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, do all this sort of thing. And I, I'm always just on the fly, always trying to just adjust on the, on the fly and go on as I go. And, you know, I'd rather live my life like that, kind of just, being, you know, having to adjust when I have to adjust. And if I could plan stuff out, great. I'd love to plan it. I'm planning a couple of vacations later on in the year. But, you know, if something comes up, like, I'm, that in. I'm more than willing to adjust on the fly or make it work. So, you know, okay. Yeah. I'd, well, I'd rather live my life that way. I think that's a good answer. I, I agree with you on that. I don't, I don't want to know, you know, my future. I'd rather just kind of, I want to be when the, when the Bills or Sabers win the championships in their respective <laughs> leagues. I'd rather right. be surprised, not knowing it's coming. Right. Well, exactly. Apparently, this guy knows it's coming. So <laughs> we'll have to see. Apparently, allegedly. Yeah. Right. Allegedly. So you know, you you've worked on the morning show now for a few years. You you've done a lot of different segments. You know, between with Sal and with Jeremy and Howard. 
Do you have a favorite segment that you guys do? I mean, I told you before we got on my favorite thing, and I I usually stop what I'm doing during football season <laughs> to listen to Howard pick the Bills. It is mm-hmm. by far mm-hmm. my, my my favorite my favorite segment. You know, it's a moment unlike any other. It's it's great. Um, what is, do you have a favorite segment that you get, that you do with those two? In the oh, I mean, there's been so many segments that we've done. It's hard to kind of keep track, but definitely during bill season, every Tuesday morning, I really look forward to going in and putting together that Howard picks the bills open. That is, I mean, that is by far my favorite segment that we do all the time. Whenever we do Howard picks the bills or like when Jeremy says, Oh, we're going to do a surprise. Howard picks the bills and Howard freaks out where he's just like, no, I'm leaving. I'm gone. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm quitting today. And those are always the great moments. Um, you know, when we used to do the who's deck before Josh Allen came in, who's the quarterback. Mm-hmm. That was always fun. Um, you know, the, the, Oh God, the, the buddy Nick's game is always fun. Uh, the 10 Nolan games, fun draft drills are always fun. There's just so many elements to our morning show that make it so great. And whenever we get the chance to do one of those super fun elements and kind of spice things up on our, on a, on a random day or whatever, it, it just kind of like lifts my spirits. I think it lifts Howard and Jeremy's spirits, even if Howard doesn't like picking the bills. I think it lifts everyone's spirits. And, um, you know, we try to we try to please the listeners and we try to make people happy as they go about their mornings, whether they're driving to work or they're sitting at home drinking a coffee. We're just trying to do whatever we can to uh, to make everybody happy and, and enjoy their listening experience. I'm I think do- Howard secretly loves, like I feel like it's Howard's secret joy of – Tuesday mornings is picking the bills. Like it's got to hands down be, you know, he's got to love the attention that he gets just for it every year or every week. And I feel like he just tries to pretend like he doesn't like it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is, it is, it is fun because he, he tries to plan it out so well. And then like the one day when he flipped a coin to pick the bills and Steelers <laughs> team last year, like Jeremy and I were both like, you can't do that. And he's just like, well, why not? It's like, <laughs> Picking the bills, pick them to win or lose. Don't flip a coin, just the, the let fate tempt it. You gotta pick them. I was shocked he even had a coin on him. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, he's got he's gotta get to the vending machine every once in a while. He's gotta, <laughs> he's gotta give Jeremy and I birthday gifts every once in a while. <laughs> I'm gonna date myself a little bit here, but were you around for fun time bills land? <sighs> no, I don't think I was. That it doesn't ring a bell to me. Wow, that was yeah, that was that was way, way back when the bills were like not even the bills were like the Sabres right now where they weren't even close. And it was, yeah. you'd have, I think it was, it must've been Monday morning, just fun time bills land. It was like this, this like dream sequence music. And it was like imagining yeah. an alternate universe where the bills <laughs> had actually like won the game that week. And yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brayden, if, if uh, you were banished from Buffalo and you had to live anywhere else in the world, where would you mm. choose? Mm. Banished from Buffalo and had to live anywhere. Oof. Um, just don't say Boston or New England. No, 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 no. It would, it, <laughs> I would probably pick somewhere where there's a beach where it's warm and, you know, there's a bar that I can go, you know, <laughs> a nice crisp drink on the beach or in the water or something like mm. that. And somebody like the Grand Cayman Islands. I was there recently before the pandemic and I loved it. It was beautiful there. Send me there. I'll go there. Okay. It's not not a bad place to go. Not a bad no. place to go. No. So I, I got to ask because I ask everyone this question. Um, Nick already knows what's coming. So we, with this question, we've gotten answers like nine eleven tavern. We have gotten bar bill. Um, I think we even got Elmo's one time. Where is your go to spot for chicken wings? Oh, that's bar bill. Definitely okay. bar bill. I, I have okay. a routine when I go to bar bill. It is I start off with a with a like a small beef on weck with the with the chips, mm-hmm. and uh, after that I go into wings and I get the uh, Cajun honey barbecue wings every time. Every routine. time, that's absolutely my routine. I like I like those places where you have like the few options on the menu where it's just like, oh, I could either go do this or I could do this today. Whatever I'm in the mood for, I'll do that. But like Bar Bill, it's always like you make the plan to go to Bar Bill, and for me, it's always the same meal, and I I have zero regrets because every time I do, I am not disappointed. <laughs> I'll tell you, down here in Atlanta, we just got a we had a Duff's. Duff's just closed. Uh, right before the pandemic and we just got an anchor bar a couple weeks ago just opened up and my wife and i got wings from there i mean i gotta settle for wings from anchor bar but they're not half bad compared to the other wings place around here i I gotta say they're the closest thing to home and they do have good beef on whack at this location so well that's um, good yes 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 
That's good. It's, it's unfortunate that a, a Duff's closed there. I mean, you know, I like Duff's. I like Anchor Bar. But, like, if, if I had the choice of the three, I'd, I'd absolutely just say Bar. Oh. Like, without hesitation, I'd say Barbell. Let's go. I, I mean, I, I feel – truthfully, I feel like Duff's and Anchor Bar are just overrated. But when you're living out of state and you see a Duff's or an Anchor Bar near you, you're like, well, I have to go. Like, you just right. have to do it. Right. Yeah. No, it's completely understandable. All right. One more from each of us. Braden, what's the best thing you cook? Best thing I cook. Ooh. Ooh. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what do I believe? It was quick. She was <laughs> quick with that one. No, um, no, I can I can make a mean chicken parmesan. Um, you know, I, I only learned how to cook chicken parmesan maybe two or three years ago. But every yourself? every time that I try, I try a little something different, whether it's, you know, a little more uh, breading or, you know, a different sauce to go along with it. But yeah, I, I could I could cook a, a pretty good chicken parm, I believe. You bread the chicken yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ooh, um, nice. you know, I get the I get the mix there, the panko breading and mix it with the Parmesan cheese and, you know, do the whole taking the chicken, beating it down, putting it in, you know, mm. flour and egg yolk and then. Brain with a meat tenderizer. Now we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's a, it's a process. It's like an hour and a half process to make chicken parm, but I, I like it. I enjoy it. I think we have a new segment for the morning show. Cooking with Brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, there wouldn't be much more that I could cook other than that. <laughs> you can learn something new every day. I mean, right. you, you can have Jeremy on as a guest and he could smoke some meat for you too. And Ooh, yeah, that would, you be, know, that would be a good segment. There, there's a few times this year to listen to uh, the countdown to kickoff with him and he's, Talking about the meat that he's smoking, I'm like, dude, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. You're making me hungry. Just stop. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk. Um, so final question for me then. Um, do you see – I'm going to stay on the Sabres topic for this last question. Who's the first Sabre out of Buffalo this offseason? Is it Eichel, Reinhardt, Aristolainen, or you can even say other? That's a really good question. I mean, I, everybody would, I mean, if Eichel is going to be moved, everybody would be anticipating him being the first, because then that just sends the shock waves down, not only the NHL, but also with the Sabres and just kind of then planning out. Okay. So we don't have Eichel here. Are the assets we're getting back. Okay. Then what do you do with Sam Reinhardt? What do you do with Rasmus Ristolainen? What do you do with guys like Casey Middlestat? What do you do with, you know, Dylan Cousins? And I'm not talking about trading them, maybe Casey Middlestat, but I mean, who knows? Like, you know, more of just like, a, okay, do you slot Middlestad or Cousins in as this first line, second line? Do you slot in Reinhardt as your first line? Do you trade Reinhardt? I mean, I'll say Eichel for now, just because, you know, I think that's wow. really all does start for the Sabres at this point with this offseason. Um, but you know what? If they decide not to trade Eichel, then it's about time to trade Rasmus for Stalinen. I mean, what more do you have to see from this guy to get the firm finalization in your mind that, We've seen everything we need to see from this guy. I don't think there's anything more that we can get out of Rasmus versus the line. And I think we know what he is. I think we know what kind of player he's going to do. could kind of be every single night. And that's, that's it. There's nothing more you need to see. I, I think that's it. And you know, you could do much better <laughs> quite honestly. I, I, I would agree with you. Um, I wouldn't be shocked that they somehow work a deal to if they can't move Risto for anything, because you know he, in my opinion, I think Risto's just that bad of a hockey player. I don't know if many teams just want to take him on. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they work some kind of deal with Seattle to get Seattle to get him mm -hmm. off their books. Maybe. I mean, I mean, they depending on whether assets Seattle's bringing in. I mean, they got to mm -hmm. reach a certain a, a floor to the salary cap, right? And if that means they have to bring in some added money and maybe Rasmus Ristolainen is that guy, it's a one-year deal. So that's kind right. of enticing for a team like Seattle. You have that first year. If you like him, then maybe you bring him back and re-sign him. And if you don't, you let him go to free agency. And that's that. You did the one year. Real simple. That's it. No problem. Sabres are probably going to have to give them some incentive to take Rasmus Ristolainen instead of taking a guy like Anders Bjork, Tage Thompson, or Rasmus Asplund or somebody like that. Because I think that's kind of how it's going to play out with who you got to protect and what you're protecting. But, you know, I'm very much like Jeremy. If the Sabres are going to protect Rasmus Ristolainen at, at, you know, for the expansion draft, um, some serious, you know, what's going to hit the fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Pretty much. You do not protect Rasmus Ristolainen, who, again, we know who he is. We know what he is. Mm-hmm. He's only got one more year left on his deal. What are you protecting him for? He's going to be a free agent when you got a guy like Will Borgen, who I think can do just as much as Rasmus Ristolainen other than put up points because Will Borgen's definitely more of a defensive guy, but he skates just as well. He's just as physical, but he's smarter, and he's a workhorse. Like He can eat up those minutes and handle them. So, you know, Borgen's never going to put up the points that Rasmus Ristolainen did in his NHL career. Big whoop. I don't really care. So just, <laughs> just you know. I, I would almost dare them to take Ristolainen. I would leave him unprotected. And, like, <laughs> don't even entice him. Just put him out there and almost dare them to take him. Well, Jason Bottrell is in Seattle, so. Ooh, that's a good point. Too bad. Too bad. Uh, who was it? The Tim Mur- was Tim Murray the one that signed the Colaposo? Uh, yes, he signed yes. the Colaposo contract. He signed the Rasmus Ristolainen extension. Um, Where, where's Tim Murray? Can we just send both of those guys to wherever Tim Murray <laughs> is? Because I'd love to get a Colaposo off our books, too. To my knowledge, I don't think Tim Murray is on the job. I don't no, think no, I don't think so either. Yeah, I think he's still having beers with Doug Whaley somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, Doug Whaley was the um, what was he? He was the commissioner of the XFL, wasn't he, or something, something like, like that? that. Yeah, like that commissioner. And now, uh, you know, whatever the XFL is going to be, if right. it's ever going to come back, I know the Rock John Dwayne the Rock Johnson bought him and apparently wants to bring it back. I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, I like the XFL, DC Defenders. That's my team. There you go. There you go. I like that you even have a team. I, I the XFL is always interesting. I'm glad that they actually played football this time, and it wasn't about the cheerleaders in the locker room like it was the first time around. So right. we'll see if maybe the third time's charm for that league. But yeah. Um, but Brayton, we appreciate you coming on with us. Appreciate you joining us. We're, we're we were very honored to have you on. We've been trying to get you on for a while. So uh, thank you for coming on and talking Sabres hockey with us. Yeah, guys. Thanks again for having me. Anytime that uh, anytime you want to chat, I'm I'm open and I'm willing to join you. So thanks again for having me, and, and hopefully the Sabers uh, can turn things around here soon enough. That might take up on that. Thank you, Brayden. <laughs> thanks, guys. Take Thank care. You. Bye. All right, Nick. So before we uh, sign off here, you know, let me tell you about Ethos Performance Rehab, Nick. Ethos Performance Rehab is the premier physical therapy service to athletes in Buffalo. They're out of network status. Allows them to work one-on-one with every athlete, every session. If you're looking for injury treatment, maintenance, or just some performance training, you'll fit right in with the Ethos team. Give them a call today. Maybe Jack needs to go to Ethos Performance Rehab for his neck. Um, I, as much as I do love Ethos Performance Rehab, I don't <laughs> think they should do surgeries. No, no, but he can go there for rehab. For rehab, you know, yes. Maybe rehab that would be – Oh, yeah. In the name of, of – Absolutely. Rehab. But may, maybe maybe that's the answer. Maybe that's Jack's problem. The Sabres doctors just aren't the way to go, and he's got to go see Dr. Matt down at Ethos. I mean, listen, hearing what, what Adams had to say later, it sounded like their doctors said one thing, the second opinion agreed with the Sabres doctors, and Eichel kept pushing the issue which is mm-hmm. kind of why, why it feels to me like it's almost even not about the recommended course if both doctors said that. It's more about the power. It's more about yeah. being able to do what he wants to do. And he's going to push the buttons, and he probably wants to get out of here because at this point, like, it's so sad. No one would even blame him for wanting to no. get out of here. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. And it's like, like, like to, no. And to me, this is almost like his way to kind of push the buttons. I will say this, and, and I think it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of mad I didn't bring it up with Brayton, but I think the fact that, you know, you trade a guy like Jack Eichel, I don't really necessarily feel like it's going to hurt Buffalo too much, right? Like, obviously Buffalo's going into a rebuilding mode, but you move a guy like Jack Eichel, the assets that you're going to bring back is going to be top-tier assets from a team, whether it's young top-tier guys like a Quentin Byfield or a, or a Trevor Zegras or a uh, – Kirill Kriprasov from Minnesota, one of those guys, you have to get a top prospect back, at least one. On top of that, you're going to get draft picks. You're going to get top, you know, first-round draft picks and in, in upcoming drafts, and you're probably going to get um, another top prospect at some position. So I feel like Buffalo wouldn't take a huge step back trading Jack as long as Kevin Adams doesn't mess this up like they messed up the Ryan O'Reilly trade. I will say I saw somewhere one of the sports betting sites has listed odds now for Jack Eichel's next team. Mm-hmm. 
The Rangers are on top of the list, followed by the Kings, Coyotes, Bruins, Flames, Wild, Red Wings. I don't think he goes to the Rangers or Bruins because I don't think Kevin Adams is going to trade him within the conference. I think you, if you're going to make a trade, because again, you don't have to, right? Like you don't have to move Jack Eichel. Right. There's nothing wrong with keeping him. You don't have to move him. But if you do move him, you get him out of the Eastern Conference. It's not a tra- Taylor Hall situation where he's in one year contract and you know, you know he's not going to resign with you, so you better just get rid of him to get something. You have Jack Eichel for multiple Baltimore more seasons, and next year he goes into a uh, a no movement clause. You don't have to move him, but if you do, you need to get him out west, somewhere in the Western mm-hmm. Conference, so you're not having to fight him to get into the playoffs if that time ever comes, which sounds like it's going to be 2026. <laughs> Amazing! If that happens, we're going to have to we're going to have to have Brayton find that guy, and then we'll have him on the pod. I think Brayton needs to find that guy uh, and start questioning him if if things are. Getting Should ask him about progress. stocks. Maybe stocks sound like a good thing to know about. Stocks are a good start. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to know, know what what does Bitcoin look like in 2026. Is that still? Which is, I know it's taking a plunge, not going to the moon anymore. Should be. Should we get some Doge up in here? Yeah. Yeah. What happens to Dogecoin? Like, I need to know these things. Like, do I need to invest in? <laughs> cryptocurrency now or am i good to wait a few more years i i need to find the psychic if, if if he's listening to the podcast and he knows who he is well i'm sure he already knows who he is because okay can, can we find a psychic who knows something before 10 years later that might help too yes i like what happened maybe the bills won the super bowl this year maybe he just completely skipped over 2021 and 2022 anyway uh that's it for us thanks for listening we are not psychic but uh, you know what we should do is we should try to be a little bit psychic and predict the um, the draft or not the draft lottery, but predict the expansion draft, who the Sabres will protect and who they will expose. Yeah, I think that's a good conversation for uh, for next week's podcast, Nick. I think that gives us some. Uh, you just gave homework. me homework. I gave myself homework. You just All gave right. yourself homework, but I like it. It's good homework. <laughs> homework. So, something, right. good, something good to consider, but uh, appreciate everyone tuning in. Thanks again to Brayton Wilson for joining us. You can hear Brayton every uh, morning on the Howard and Jeremy show. Um, you can also find Brayton on Twitter um, at BJ Wilson WGR. We should have yeah, asked him what Twitter. J stands for. Uh, I don't, it looks like it's his middle initial. I don't know I what. Know, we should ask we'll say Jason. <laughs> Brayton Jason Wilson. Um, but well, next time we have my well, that'll be a question for the lightning round. But you can find Brayton on, on Twitter at BJ Wilson uh WGR on Twitter. Uh find Nick on Twitter at Nick Veronica, myself at Chowit68. And you can always find the process podcast on Twitter at the underscore process pod. Um remember to like, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff wherever you listen to your uh podcasts, uh Apple. Google, whatever Google's media thing is. I, I'm, I'm an Apple guy. I know you are too. So Google Media Play um, and even Spotify. Um, appreciate everyone tuning in this week. And remember to always trust the process.